Jesus, may we hear from you this morning. May we hear from you this morning, Lord. Um, bind me from saying anything that might be harmful to, to this congregation here this morning. Instead, may I speak words of hope and of truth. And it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so I, I looked up some of my notes from seminary uh, to find out when exactly this lecture was that I heard that was one of my favorites. And it turns out it was in 2009, so quite a long time ago. But uh, it stuck out to me this uh, quite a bit that I've remembered it to this day. And this was a, a church history class, uh, an ancient church history class. And our professor put up on the slide, or up on the screen a bunch of ancient church art. And he just kind of clicked through a bunch of the art and explained a bunch of the images. And it was very striking because uh, about partway through the slides, you, you realize that there's a theme running throughout all of them. And that is this. Uh, for the first few centuries of the church, the church had some favorite symbols that it used over and over again. Uh, symbols of like an anchor uh, or of a fish. You know, some of you might see those ichthuses that are on the back of people's cars and whatnot. That's an ancient church symbol. Uh, one of the weird ones that I learned about was a peacock, which apparently is a symbol for eternal life. Who'd have thought? Um, but another symbol that was shown over and over again was a symbol of uh, Jesus as the Good Shepherd. You may have seen this symbol before, um, just kind of out and about, but it's an image of, of Christ standing there dressed in, as in shepherd garb, and he's got a sheep across his shoulders, and he's bringing the sheep home. Well, this was by far one of the favorite images of the ancient church. And you can kind of understand why, right? Because during this time, they were heavily persecuted. And so you can imagine how, how comforting it would be that even as, as your people are taken away and put into prison and sometimes fed to lions and whatnot, to think of Jesus as the shepherd rescuing those and bringing people back into his presence. Well, then something happens in church history, about 313 or so, uh, when Christianity was deemed legal now. All of a sudden, throughout the Roman Empire, one, it was legitimate to be a Christian. One could be a Christian and not be persecuted for this. Uh, the Edict of Milan, uh, for you historians, in case you were wondering, uh, issued by Constantine. Well, as you might guess, the favorite images of the church also transformed about this time. Uh, this is when the church started to adopt uh, the cross. We saw more of that imagery. But also, this is when we started to see imagery of Jesus sitting on the throne. And instead of shepherd garb, now he would be clothed in royal garb. He'd be seated on a throne, sometimes holding a scepter to symbolize his authority, sometimes holding a globe to symbolize uh, the extent of his reign and whatnot. And now the cynic in me, or perhaps in you, I don't know, might be thinking, oh, of course. So now the Christians are in power, so now they, they think it's okay to think of Christ as the king. But the fact of the matter is both of these images, Christ as shepherd and Christ as king, are equally valid. They're both biblical. In fact, if you're paying attention during our readings this morning, you, you probably glimmered both um, symbols of Christ as shepherd, but also as king uh, seated upon the throne. Because the fact of the matter is, Jesus is complex, and you can't just have one metaphor that explains who Jesus is and what he has done. We need many metaphors uh, throughout the scriptures to understand who he is. And so this morning, kind of in keeping with um, us being in John for the past couple weeks, we're going to be looking at our passage this morning from John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And so imagine your bulletins are already open there, or open up your Bibles to John chapter 10, um, if you have not yet done so. 
So this is a passage that comes after one of my favorite chapters, chapter 9, which is Jesus healing the blind man. And so now Jesus is kind of speaking to the great crowd that has come. Imagine, if you will, that perhaps the blind man is still in the company, but so are the blind man's parents, if you're familiar with that story, a bunch of the neighbors, uh, the Jewish rulers, everyone's here, and they're hearing Jesus speak to them and kind of explain what they had just heard. And one of the first things that he says to them is he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Now, right away, that might be offensive to some of us this morning. Some of us may have had people in our lives before who have told us, quite, sometimes quite explicitly, I am the door in your life. All of your activity must pass through me. Some of us may have had very authoritarian parents uh, or bosses or even pastors or spiritual leaders in your life who have insisted that all of your activity goes through them and that person. I want to know everything you do. I want to know when you leave. I want to know when you come back. All of your activity goes through me. Keep me in the loop. And if you disobey this command, if you break this command, then there are extreme consequences. Now for people like this, as you might imagine, as you, as you may have experienced, you're merely a, a tool in their, uh, in their tool belt. You're there just to be manipulated by them, to be controlled by them. Jesus actually has harsh words for these kinds of people in this passage. He calls these people thieves and robbers because this has kind of been the pattern for a lot of the religious, ugh, religious leaders of that day. These were people who, expected, or who put all of these rules in place so that if you were to approach the temple, you had to be utterly spotless and completely clean. There were rules for the animals that you had to bring forward. and They too also had to be clean and spotless as well. Well, Jesus says that the thieves come only for one thing, to steal, kill, and destroy. Because sitting under this kind of leadership can be utterly soul-crushing. This is where religion is at its worst. And ultimately, the sheep might obey these people, but mostly out of fear, right? You know, you're not compelled out of love to obey this person. No, you're motivated by fear. And so you obey, but you do not love the one who commands you. Well, Jesus continues in verse 9. He states a second time, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he is saved, or he is safe. He will go in and out and find pasture. So I love that phrase, the going in and going out. So in, in Hebrew literature, this is an idiom for kind of the day-to-day -day living, your day-to-day -day life. It's an idiom to kind of explain all of the business activities, your leisure activities, so on and so forth. And there's kind of this, um, this freedom that exists to it. It's as if Jesus is saying, I am the door and you are free to go out and come back in. You are free to go and explore the good pastures. And I feel like there's this childlike exploration and wonder that's sort of um, built into this text. So this week, Molly and I, we drove down to Kansas for Thanksgiving to visit my family. Yay, Kansas. It's one of the thrilling places on earth. Just love Kansas. And, oh, the drive is also as equally as beautiful. Just lots of amazing scenery there. But one thing that, that did kind of capture my imagination were some of the pastures that we drove by. So you're driving, you'd see a bunch of cows or sometimes sheep and horses out there. And they're just so peaceful, kind of doing their thing, even though it's kind of cold out. And occasionally you'd see a barn that's kind of rustic or falling apart. And I'd wonder like, oh, I wonder what, what's the story behind that barn? You know, who used to live there? What was it used for? 
What would it be like to, to rebuild it? What would it take for that barn to be used again? Or is it just going to continue to sit here and fall over? Or sometimes you see these old cars, and that you, you can tell that someone once had a lot of um, passion and zeal for these cars, but now the cars have literally been put out to pasture, <laughs> and they're rusting and falling apart. Um, and then there's just these beautiful little brooks that are kind of creaking through, and these gnarly trees, and it's just like, oh, I just want to go and run around that, po- that pasture. Well, Jesus says that he comes to give life abundantly, that his pasture is a beautiful place to explore. And he has commissioned us to go out into the pasture to find things that are in need of restoration, of rebuilding, of repurposing, and to breathe new life into them. He calls us to partake in the exploration and the enjoyment of his good world. He fills us with his spirit, which gives us peace and freedom in this life. And we're given purpose with others. That is what it's like to go in and out and find good pasture with our Lord. Well, Jesus isn't just the gate, but he gives us another metaphor to understand who he is as well here in this passage. He's not just the gate, but he is the guide as well. Not just the doorway, but he's the shepherd as well. So when Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, many of the Jews hearing him would have immediately have thought back to the past, that Old Testament passage that we read this morning, that famous passage, Ezekiel 34, where, where God says that he himself will be a shepherd of his sheep. You see, God was absolutely appalled by the behavior of the priests of the, in that day. And he comes forth and he speaks through Ezekiel and he says, I have had enough with these leaders. I myself will be a shepherd of my sheep. And there in Ezekiel, it says, that the Lord will lead his people to green pastures. He will go out and look for the sheep that is straying and lost and bring them back. He will bind the injured. Well, as we see throughout the Gospel of John and throughout the New Testament as a whole, Jesus fulfills this passage over and over again, along with numerous others in the Old Testament which portray God as a shepherd. So Jesus says that he himself is the good shepherd. And just like in our previous paragraph, um, the door being contrasted to thieves and robbers, here the good shepherd is being contrasted to something else. Hired hands, false shepherds, that is, or even false pastors or teachers. Now, you may have been in a situation before where you've maybe, unfortunately, sat under someone like this, a hired hand. These might be people, leaders, who are actually good at what they do. They actually have been commissioned to do a job, and for the most part, they do it all right. They find the best pastures with the perfect amount of shade, and the fullest berries are there, the lushest of grass is there. And these pastures can indeed bring you there, so there are some things that they get right. However, when the wolf comes, this is when they flee. So when shepherding, or when suffering comes, or an attack from the evil one comes, the true heart of these shepherds is exposed. And we see that the, what, the true, um, what they truly love, what they truly desire here, they care more for their own safety and their own comfort than that, than that of the flock that they've been entrusted with. It makes you wonder if they even trusted or if they even cared for the sheep to begin with. Now, as I was reading over this, it was especially fear-inducing, as you might imagine. 
hearing about these false teachers, these false shepherds. Because here I am planting a church, here we are planting a church, and there's a lot of things that we want to do to kind of make it nice, right? We want to have nice coffee, you know, we want people to come in and be warm, we want to have some nice treats. I'm assuming the coffee is going to be nice today, Kurt. Okay, great, great. You know, we want there to be donuts, we want there to be beautiful music and artwork and whatnot in here. I want you guys, and I think we all want to be in a good pasture. You know, I want my sermons to be interesting and maybe have some humor in there, you know, get some giggles every now and then. So that when people go home, they can think, oh, yeah, that was, that was nice. Okay, that was interesting. Gave me some things to think about, right? But woe to me if I ever book it as soon as I see a wolf, right? If I ever see a wolf come through these doors or maybe even into my own heart or in the hearts of you, if we don't call those out, woe to us. And our passage here has strong things to say about those who ignore the wolf. Now, thankfully, we have an amazing example, a true example in Christ Jesus himself. He says in verse 14, he repeats again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Do you hear the intimacy that's in these words? You can see the love of Christ just beaming through these words. Even though they were spoken 2,000 years ago, they still warms my heart, and I hope yours as well. Because in spite of our blemishes, in spite of our sins and the things that we've done, Christ still loves us. He knows us. In fact, he paid the ultimate price for us. He says here that I lay down my life for the sheep. He lays his own life down for the sheep. Now this is one of the most exciting pieces to me. It says that he is out gathering even more sheep outside of the fold. Now, for a lot of us, that's you and me. It's speaking about the Gentile people here, not the, um, the Jews themselves. But Christ, his mission is far more encompassing than the Jews there in Israel. He wants to gather the entire world under his fold. And so he says here, I am going out to find other sheep. We see the global mission of Christ, which is being fulfilled through his body, that is the church, us. And we all bow before one shepherd, the text tells us. And this is why the Father loves Christ so much. Because Christ is on that gathering mission. He is fulfilling the purposes of the Father. Now, I started off the, the, this morning welcoming everyone in, pointing out that today is Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday. It's a Sunday where we see the authority of Christ. And it's sort of wedded and, and, and uh, dovetails very nicely with Christ as shepherd. And we see that here in our passage as well. Because here we see an example of the authority that Jesus Christ has. He lays down his life and no one takes it from him. But there in verse 18 it says, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is no ordinary shepherd. No, this is a king speaking at this point. And you see, that authority comes from God the Father. The power comes from God the Father himself. And we see that this shepherd, he's, got the, he's a royal shepherd. And he speaks with authority. And you see, we need both images, both the shepherd and the king, to understand the fullness of Christ. If we have a king alone, oftentimes kings, or dare I say presidents or politicians, are sometimes disconnected and aloof, right? They're unempathizing with the people who they serve. We might see a just law come down every now and then, but there's always, 
that wondering or that assumption in our mind or that wonder that maybe that law is only being created to prop up the king's castle and his reputation. And love is rarely a part of that equation, is it? And if Christ was only shepherd, then he wouldn't have the authority to carry out his desires. Sure, he might be able to defeat a lone wolf here and there, but what about when an entire pack is threatening the flock? Ultimately, one can admire the shepherd's heart, but at the end of the day, he lacks the power and the authority to act on the injustices that he sees. So do you see what's so magnificent about Christ this morning? He is that great shepherd king. And where else in other religions or throughout our society do you see this kind of blend of this servant-heartedness of, of our Savior? Well, I've kind of mentioned this earlier today, but our, our society right now, um, just smearing across the, the headlines and whatnot, it's, it's very easy to see that we're fraught. We are a society fraught with people who are completely abusing their power. Victims are left and right. It seems like every day there's a new person being accused of, of shall we just say, improper behavior. In fact, across my Twitter feed, um, someone had this to say <coughs> in the midst of all the accusations and whatnot creeping about. This was kind of a um, venomous response uh, to all of the news. Someone said, men are trash. That includes every man that I've ever known, all of them. They even say, even their weed guy, <laughs> whatever that might mean. There are no good ones, they say. That's why there's so much rape, assault, and harassment in this world. If men wanted to change, they would have. And I read that and I thought, man, that's so sad. <clears throat> it's, it's partly sad because I hear that and I understand it. It's, you, one is left to wonder, man, is everyone to blame right now? Well, our passage ends in a very similar way. Some similar accusations are actually thrown at Jesus himself. There in verse 20, some of the, the Jews say to Jesus, he has a demon. He is just full of evil. Is he really a good man? He must be insane. Why should we listen to him? He is no good man, our, our tweeter probably would have said about Jesus. He has a demon, just like every single other man in mankind. But then it it carries on. These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon, someone said. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see, there in their midst was a man who had actually encountered Jesus in a very real and intimate and powerful way. His own eyes had been opened again and he could see. And so I invite you this morning, if, if you're here this morning and, and you're kind of asking questions about this Jesus guy and you, sure, you hear him talk about being a shepherd and a king and you're like, yeah, that's nice, but I've, I've seen enough of these guys come here and, and leave and they're all just the same. Well, guess what? There are people here whose eyes have been opened. Even here in this room, we are a young church, but there are enough people here who have encountered Christ in very real and powerful ways. Sometimes through physical healing, Sometimes in the restoring of a, of a marriage, of a family. But we have encountered Christ, have we not? There are people in this room whose eyes have been opened. And so I invite you after the service to stick around, get to know us. Let's chat a little bit. Fill out one of your contact cards. I'd love to grab coffee with you. Join a life group. There's plenty of ways to get involved here. But this is a place where we celebrate Jesus Christ, that he is the good shepherd. So in light of that, let's pray. 
Lord Jesus Christ, you alone are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the one true good shepherd. We praise you and we honor you. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you've moved in our own lives and may we be a church that celebrates that constantly and never lose the sight of you as being the focus of our lives. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.